Hello, hello, and welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor K. Before we jump into this very special podcast, I want to remind you that you can visit mayorkay.com and subscribe to my mailing list every Monday. I share a few short paragraphs about the podcasts that I've recorded, films that I've created, and interesting people that I've been able to connect with and talk to. And there's always something interesting, something insightful that perhaps could kick off your week to a great start. Also, another reminder that is I have a children's book out called A Kid's Book About Optimism. And this can be found through links on my social media, on Instagram, at Mayor K. There is a link in my bio there, as well as you can visit akidsbookabout.com and find the many different titles that they have, as well as the one about optimism, which I wrote, uh, which I'm quite proud about. All right, friends, thank you for tuning in. I want to welcome uh, some old friends, old listeners, as well as the new ones. Thank you for tuning into the Great Day Podcast. And this following conversation is one that I cherish deeply and is by far one of the most humbling and meaningful experiences I've had since launching my podcast. Today we have Dr. Edith Eva Eager. She's a Holocaust survivor, a psychologist, and in 2017, nearly 90 years old. She wrote her first book, The Choice. The book, when I was reading, and I'm just a few pages in, I knew by some miracle I needed to speak with this lamplighter, this courageous and inspiring woman. She then, in 2020, came out with her second book, The Gift 12 Lessons to Save Your Life. And it's truly a gift to humanity. I've read them both, and I highly recommend you reading them. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And if you haven't yet, please. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast. Your support goes a long way. I hope you listen by listening to this podcast and to the many other podcasts available to you. You'll find strength, inspiration, and hope to create a great day and a great life for yourself. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, my podcast with Dr. Edith Eager. So, I mean, first off, um, Dr. Eager, I, I must ask you, you're always, you always look fly, you always look gorgeous, and every single time I see you're so made up, and I, I'm curious to know, why is this so important for you? But before we jump, why is it so important for you to look so beautiful and the way you do? Where do you get your scarf collection? Because, by gosh, it is beautiful. When I was a little girl, my father looked at me and said, you have the kind of a body that you're going to be the best dressed girl in town. <laughs> so I dress up for my daddy and I say, Papa, just watch me. And I hope to be a good role model to women to care about themselves and look at life from inside out. No matter how much makeup you put on, I don't think that's going to ever replace uh, a beautiful, loving, caring soul that I hope to bring you as, as a doctor, Dr. Eva <laughs> Eager, but most of all, a very proud Jewish woman because she is very proud of the ancestors who didn't have it as good and they never gave up. So mm. I hope a good role model to find hope in hopelessness and never forget the past or run away from it or fight it, 
but to be really recognized that we somehow somehow will conquer everything everything never become a victim of any circumstance you truly embody that and it, and it shows and it shows forth and before I actually jump into something which you talked about, about not being a victim, you've mentioned in your book, um, I was not a victim, I was victimized. That's What's the right. difference between those two statements? Why do you think people hold on to victimhood? Like what purpose does it serve and how can, you, how can someone show up in their own life to let it go? Well, you know, young people tell me things like God doesn't make junk. And I really like that. <laughs> yes, it's not my being. It's not my identity. It's what was done to me. And that is very, very important that you're innocent, especially if you were touched inappropriately. And that woman comes to me and tells me, I don't want to tell you because you were in Auschwitz, you know. But I keep telling that person that I knew the enemy and you didn't, and you keep that secret in you. And so we got to know that uh, what comes out of your body doesn't make you ill mm. because I kept my secret. I didn't want to tell anyone I was in Auschwitz. I didn't want anybody to feel sorry for me. I just wanted to be like you. I wanted to be a Yankee doodle dandy. <laughs> and so I went underground and that's why I asked people to write your book and recognize that what comes out of your body will never make you ill. What stays in there does. Why did you wait till almost 90 years old to write the choice? Because it, Dr. Eager, this is such a, and besides the gift, of course, your second book, it is such a gift to the world of the choice and the gift. What took so long for you to, to share this? Why, why? Well, you know, many people told me for many, many years, to write the book and I kept saying, I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. Mm. And then Zimbardo wrote the foreword and the choice said to me, you know, Edie, the Holocaust survivors who are famous are all men. We need a female voice. Mm. So the choice is the female voice of Viktor Franco. But I'm not Viktor Frankl because he was in his studies in Auschwitz. He was a medical doctor and I was a 16 year old in love. Um, my boyfriend and I were Zionists. We were gonna go to Palestine. It's a different uh, age and a different mentality. Yet both of us used the same skills. Uh, he said, when I was beaten, I closed my eyes and I imagined lecturing at the Viennese lecture hall after the concentration camp to lecture about the concentration camp philosophy and psychology. And I said, that's interesting because when I danced for Dr. Mengele, I too closed my eyes and the music was Tchaikovsky and I was dancing the Romeo and Juliet at the Budapest Opera House. Yes. So you see, we use the same skills not to allow anything from the outside to murder our spirit. This and is such a, a powerful, a powerful way of, of living life. And in the most darkest of, of moments in your life, this, this truly helped you. 
who in your life at such a tender age, you're a 16, like you mentioned, Dr. Frankel was in his thirties, you know, an, an adult, he experienced life way before, many more years before he entered the concentration camps for at such a tender age. How did, were you able to embody, how was it so ingrained within you to look at life in such a manner? I think that God gives us a way of life that I happen to be the third girl in my family when my parents really wanted a son. So I spent a lot of time alone. Little did I know that I was prepared for what was to come. And uh, my mother looked at me very seriously and said, I'm glad you have brains because you have no looks. <laughs> and I think it's very important that we carry with us the messages that we receive as children. I don't have time to be angry at my mom, but I actually became a very learned teenager. Many people call me the Anne Frank who didn't die. I studied Latin, I studied Greek, and uh, it didn't hurt me any, you know. I came to America penniless. I ended up uh, graduating with honors, yet I didn't go for my graduation because I said to myself that I don't deserve it because they are dead. You see, the biggest concentration cap is in your own mind. I didn't give myself permission. That's a real key word. Give myself permission to pick up my cap and gun. Today, I would scream it from the rooftop. But at the time, I had tremendous survivor's guilt and survivor's shame. I don't know where that shame came from. So um, until I worked with a couple of uh, GIs coming back from Vietnam, and one of them was uh, screaming and uh, crying and cursing God and country, and yet the other one said to me, hey, Doc, I'm sitting in a wheelchair, and I'm so grateful that God gave me a second chance. I see my children's eyes much closer. I see, I see the flowers, and here I was. Here I was wearing a white coat. It says, Dr. Eager, Department of Psychiatry, and I feel like a biggest imposter. Mm because I have yet to meet that 16-year-old that I ran away from. And I'm so grateful to them because they changed my life. I decided to go back to Auschwitz, go back to that lion's den, reclaim my innocence, assign the shame and guilt to the perpetrator. You cannot have freedom unless you go through the rage. Yes. So I asked my sister to come with me and she said to me, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're a As an older sister would say, you know. <laughs> you know, and so who's right? I'm right for me. You are right for you. I cannot be right for you. Many, many times couples come in and they say, I want him to, I want her to. They want something for the other person. That's bad English. You can't want anything for anyone unless they are willing, that's a very good word too, I'm willing to be willing to acknowledge that they may be carrying something 
that keeps them, unfortunately, being the hostage or the victim of the past. Thank you so much for sharing that. And you've touched on so many important, important topics. And I do want to go back quickly because this is something that I've experienced myself and I know some of the listeners may have as well. When you talk about shame, self-forgiveness, and you talk about this one moment in, in your book, The Choice, you talk about this point, and yet you replay this moment in your life when you're there at, at, at selection. Dr. Mengele is there. And I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about this because in the context of the Holocaust in which I've been brought up in, I read it from a history book. I hear it about in third persons and he's or she's or they's. And yet here I am talking to you, Dr. Eager, who you've seen with your own eyes, Dr. Mengele, and you stood in that line. And, and you talk about this moment in which you, in, in just the briefest of moments, you, he asked you, is this your mother or this your sister? And you say, this is my mother. And she goes to the left and you go to the right to life. And you talk about this, this replaying record in your mind, a blaming self. And this is a very extreme example of, of shame and, and, and blaming ourselves for the things that are perhaps out of our own control. How perhaps could you share, can somebody, and how did you work through it? And we perhaps could learn from some of the tools that you used to get out of, to, to use, to get the self-forgiveness and to step out of shame and guilt. It's very, very important to acknowledge that especially if you're a child of immigrants, that you are being parentized, that you end up taking care of your parents. You learn how to speak English. My little girl was two years old. She brought home a book called Chicken Little, and then came Goosey Lucy, Turkey Lurky, and see, and I didn't know turkey from lurking. I didn't know <laughs> peanut butter. I didn't know tuna fish. And so the question I ask, when did your childhood end? Mm. So you grow up very fast. So I think it's very important to take stock right now. And one of the things I must mention that a genocide, unfortunately, is with us as we speak but never in a history of mankind, such as scientific and systematic annihilation of people existed because 15 highly educated people were celebrating at the end of the day that they can put 30,000 Jews in the oven in one day. So let's not trivialize it or, you know, no. I am here because I owe it to my parents that they didn't die in vain. And it, it's one of the most beautiful uh, gifts of God is the gift of memory. So I consider it my duty, especially when I'm, I go to the churches or the military to let them know what happens when good people do bad things. When people ask me, well, where was God? I say, God was with me. God didn't kill my parents. People did. We're not born with hate. We learn it. So let's make things clear. It's not the bad guys and the good guys. You know, God gave us both to reach for the Hitler within us or reach for the kindness and goodness. And that's what we Jewish people hopefully are giving us genes that I carry yes. with me <laughs> at 93. 
Wow. Kanana Hara. May you be and blessed with many more happy years and healthy years. And celebrate many more simchas. I never take anything for granted. I never throw up food. It, it still pains me. Uh, people laugh at me. I pick up everybody's food. In a <laughs> I, thought that was only, I thought that was only my grandmother. I realized it's, it's a Bubby thing. It's <laughs> a Bubby thing. Yes, yes. And my daughter keeps telling me, it's okay, mom. You don't have to finish it. But nevertheless, I will give it away, take it home. And um, I eat your food if you take me home. Uh, I mean, uh, take me to a restaurant. Um, you are in Brooklyn? Yes, yes. I'm right now in Brooklyn, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'll be heading out to Los Angeles next week, I will. Uh, I'm becoming a snowbird, so I won't be too far away from La Jolla. Um, oh, good. Well, you know, uh, one of my patients was in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. and she was in a marathon, and she had to walk from Brooklyn to Manhattan, some big walk. And then she stopped in the middle of it, and she decided that her body cannot take anymore, that she's going to give up. And then she ran into my office and said, Dr. Eager, I did what you told me. I said to myself, yes, I am. Yes, I can. Yes, I will. And I did it. Wow. So I like to be for something rather than I don't want this, I don't like that. I'm not interested in a don'ts. I'm interested in a yes, I, yes I am, yes I can. And yes, we are limited. You yes. know, I do the high kick still. It's not as good as it used to be. <laughs> but you still do it. You still, maybe we'll get a glimpse of it on the Zoom at towards the end of this, uh, this podcast. I'll do the high kick. <laughs> wow. Well, Dr. Eager, you, you, you touched on a really beautiful idea of being thankful for your memories, that perhaps not to, to ask God to let me forget, but rather remember, remember, this is part of who I am. I could learn from this. I could grow from this and I could do justice by remembering and, and, and doing good and doing this in, in your mothers and your fathers and, and the people who's perished in their name and to bring some goodness to her life. That's, that's really a very special and courageous you know, children, thing. Children don't do what we say. Mm. They do what they see. And the best thing for a child is a happy marriage. The best thing for you to do is to show the children to be the role model, the way you care for their mother. Mm. That's bring breakfast in bed to your to the mother of your children. I don't know, uh, but love is not what you feel; it's what you do. Action is key. I I do ask though because you have you do mention quite a few different patients and their and their cases throughout your throughout um, your book, and and you were a, a you know and, and I still are a clinical psychologist. How do you find empathy for the stories and for the patients that come your way and I want to bring up quotations and if they're going through something smaller than you, of course, everybody has their own struggles and challenges. And one of the feelings that I took away from your book was that I didn't feel, I felt validated when I, when you were talking about your challenges and going through the Holocaust. And I felt like it wasn't something that I, I could not connect with. You, you gave, you created space for anybody to realize and say, Hey, you know, I go, I'm going through something myself in my own personal life. But my question to you is how do you create empathy for people who, have, who haven't gone through the same story as you have? 
I think the, my God, my precious loving God, guided me to change hatred into pity. I looked at the guard with that uniform, throwing children in the oven without even gassing them. And I felt so sorry for them that they were so brainwashed. We need to question authority rather than blindly adhere to authority because our biggest enemy is denial. And, uh, and I think it's very important even today not to question authority is really, unfortunately, is many times happening, especially in small town USA. I think it's very important uh, for the children to be taught not what to think, but how to think. And yes, I took care of a young boy who belonged to the white supremacy group. He was 14 years old. He was part of a man called David Koresh. You may need to look into that way before your time. I'm talking about that. Mm. Okay. And he, he told me that he's a boot boy and I acknowledged his boots. I don't know a thing about it, boots of course, but then he got up and he put his elbow on my desk and I will quote, hey doc, it's time for America to be white again. And I'm going to kill all the Jews wow. and all the, using the N word, and all the Mexicans and all the Chinkos. Okay, now, I tell you there is a difference between reacting or responding. If I would have reacted, I would have taken that little boy, I would have dragged him to the corner, I would have stepped on him, and I would tell him, how dare you talk to me like that? My mother went to the gas chamber. But God told me that the most obnoxious person is my best teacher, and people don't come to me, they're sent to me. So I asked God, What's, what, what's that all about? And God said to me, find the bigot in you. And I said, God, that's impossible. I came to America penniless. I worked in a factory doing piecework. I worked very fast. And when I went to the bathroom, one of them said, colored. After Nazi Germany, communist Russia, here I am in America. And I see racism. So what did I do? I took the black women in the factory. I joined the NAACP and I marched with Martin Luther King in 1963, singing, we shall overcome with the mamas and the papas, mm. way before your time. <laughs> So, so, so what we want to do is really acknowledge that our self-talk is so important and self-love is so important because self-love is 
very important. It's not narcissistic. Uh, my assistant is, is smiling at me because she keeps telling me to tell people to love themselves. And I hope you love yourself because I'll never be another you. And to me, that's exciting. And when I go to school, that's the first thing I tell them that there is no freedom without responsibility. So when you are a child, you sit in the back of the car and you just do kind of today, the kids are texting. They don't even talk to each other. Hmm. I don't know about their social skills, but um, in other words, um, somebody drives that car. And now I ask them, you want to be a baby or a big girl? Baby or a big boy? You want to be driven or do you want to be the driver? So when you ask a child, why do you do that? And the kid would say, because I feel like it. Children don't care about consequences. But as an adult, I still feel like it, but I don't act upon it. I'm very surprised today that I am treating children who are in college and they are in a Jewish fraternity and they make them drink and they get sick, and they want to drink so they could belong, I don't think that is really the thing to do. Because when you drink, part of your brain goes to sleep. When you smoke pot, it interferes with the natural growth of your brain until it's 25. So I can preach to you a little bit I can afford it at 93. Don't mess with your brains. See, I wanted to have some facelift, and then I decided I don't want to be put to sleep because I don't want anybody to mess with my faculties. 100%. And so you have to watch a movie called The Karate Kid because the best power is brain power. Yes. It's what you're thinking. Yep. What you think you create what you think you create. Mm. That is 100% true. That's what, what, the, our, what we think about will help dictate what our feelings are and lead into our actions. But you did mention something, and I think this is something that I know I, I struggle with for a bit, is understanding the difference between being selfish and self-love, selfish and selfless. I know, you know, I come from a gener from I'm, a, I'm come from generations in which they had to survival mode the whole time. They were leaving Russia, communism, trying to survive for their lives, and they didn't have time to really work on their feelings or have time to really talk about how things were going on on the inside. They, just ha they had to put food on the table and they had to get away from the KGB. This day and age, we are blessed. My generation is blessed to be able to thrive, to have space and community to talk about our feelings, to go deep inside ourselves. And sometimes I may get apprehend, apprehended from my older generation. You know, what are you doing? Why are you taking so much time and speaking about your feelings? What's that going to get? Just do, take action, get married, build a family. Um, and sometimes don't acknowledge the feelings so, so much. Where is that line between taking, you know, taking, not being so selfish and like thinking about yourself so much about your feelings, but also taking the time that's necessary to acknowledge your feelings and to grow from your past? I think in Auschwitz, if you were just for the me, 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 you didn't make it. Mm -hmm. Cooperation 
was the name of the game. Okay, not competition, not domination, because when I danced for Dr. Mengele and he gave me a piece of bread, I could have gobbled it up very quickly. But I climbed up, I was on the third, on the top, and I shared my bread with the girls. And you know what? When I was in a death march in 1945, in April, and if you stopped, you were shot right away. I revisited that place. I could have been in that gutter. And the girls that I shared the bread with in Auschwitz came and formed a chair with their arms and they carried me. What do you do? See, what do you do? What you do is cooperate and form a family of inmates. That's what we needed to do in Auschwitz. If you were just for the me, you didn't make it. And all we had was each other then, and all we have is each other now. Hmm. So I like, you know, there is the thesis, the antithesis, but there is a synthesis. See, we can learn we can learn what happened and see how we can live in the present, but never run away from the past or fight it or deny it, God forbid. And that's what I feel so grateful that not only I survived, that I have three children, five grandchildren and seven great grandsons. Wow. Wow. The best revenge to Hitler. Um, that's wow, Mazel. That's such a beautiful. You've continued on. You've pursued and you've built. What a beautiful, beautiful family. Yes, yes, yes. May you may you have much nachas from them all, and uh, may they continue to grow into wonderful, beautiful, I strong. Have, I have now twins, six months old twins, little boys. I tell you. <laughs> Uh, uh, nothing gives me more joy uh, that I achieve that. Uh, and you know what? One of them takes away the toy from the other one already. <laughs> that, that, that you can see the leader and the follower right there and then. And Personalities that, are coming out. Oh, yeah. What I am asking people to recognize that the only one you have for a lifetime is you. See what you can do to discover your inner resources and look at life from inside out. You know, I was with Eric Fromm, who was one of my mentors. I always went to the originals. And he told me he was sick and tired of being in America, getting people well so they can live in a sick society because the children care about the Gucci and the Pucci and the, you know, but what about the soul? And that spirit, I remember, could never ever be taken away from me in Auschwitz. Mm. They could throw me in a gas chamber. I had no control over it. When we stood four o'clock in the morning in the apparel, we didn't know where we're going from there. When we took a shower, we didn't know whether gas or water is going to come out. 
and that is really a difficult place to be as we are today. We are locked in now. So if you maybe take inventory, how you married each other and how did you grow and what do you resent and what do you like about each other. So it's time out, just like football, but don't go back, have a new beginning. And this is a good time because it's Jewish New Year as well. What you're going to stop doing, what you're going to start doing, and what you're going to do more of the same. This is a wonderful time out and regroup and re-decide. That's a real great exercise you just shared about getting really honest with yourself, seeing what it is that hasn't been working for you till now. Or perhaps it worked for some bit, some some survival modes, but now it's time to let it go, and to exactly. and to build some like new habits. Before you take that things don't go from all to nothing, but if you do anything in excess, you have to look at addiction. Hmm. I am pretty addicted to freedom. I you know <laughs> I am very addicted. How you find freedom that you're congruent. Pay attention what your head is saying. Jewish people are very good at listening to their kishke, to their inner voice. Yes. Because your stomach is associated with your brain. And some people are hungry for affection, for attention, for approval. And it's good to give up the need for approval of others. Because not everybody is going to like you. So what, what do you fill that up with? If you're going to give up the need for approval, the need for attention, what do we fill that up with? I think what you do is acknowledge that I am still here and I have a choice to respond. I can take a deep breath and say the more they talk, the more relaxed I become. You take the negative stimuli and you say to yourself, I'm practicing my low frustration tolerance level. See? Mm -hmm. You know, I can't stand it. Yes, you can. When cannibalism broke out in Gunzkirchen, people were eating other people's flesh. I hate to talk to you now because it's, you know, it's your lunchtime. But you know, God told me to look down and I had grass to eat. So I can't, is not in my vocabulary. The minute I go to a classroom, I am a former teacher. I put I can't right on the board and then I take the eraser and I take the apostrophe and I say, I can. Why? Because I think I can. Hmm. See, we Jewish people are learning that we may not be wanted. You know, anti-Semitism is growing now. Yes, there is a yes. wonderful piece on, uh, on KPBS um, by uh, Susan Schutz that he, she interviewed six white supremacy group members who now uh, talk about how they felt pulled in into the white supremacy and what it meant to them to be the hostage and the prisoner of the of the lies. You know, very, very wonderful. I hope you can see it. 
and I'm in it as well. She's mentioning. We'll look into it, and we'll put it. We'll put it, the links in the description of this uh, of this podcast. But you mentioned, you know, how anti-Semitism is on the rise, and there is a lot of unfortunate news that's being 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 shared about about the Jewish people. And my question to you is: is you know, do you do you? We always hear how if we you know if we don't stand up anti-Semitism, another Holocaust could take place. Do you do you believe that? I want to believe that, uh, unfortunately, what is happening, that Ahmadijadad did not read Plato, I guarantee you. And he said that the Holocaust did not exist. So our biggest enemy is denial and delusion and minimization so what is important to recognize that Plato said that you have to think of a lie. It has to be a big one. And then you repeat it, repeat it until people believe it. Mm. So our biggest enemy is ignorance. So very, very important. Yes, yes. Hitler said that Jews are cancer to society. The book I am referring to is uh, Capitalism and the Protestant Ethic by Max Weber, who referred to the Jewish people as a pariah. So knowledge, knowledge, not information, but knowledge is what we Jewish people did. We went to the library, not the bar, okay? Well, unfortunately, we caught up, and uh, I have met, unfortunately, many Jewish people who have been really under the influence and sure. also their children. And it goes from generation to generation. So children don't do what we say. They do what they see. Right. So 100%, we can never forget and to, and to stay educated and to, and to show up and to speak up perhaps, right? When, when things are, are false or, or denials being spoken of. You mentioned quite a few times, uh, and it's it's beautiful to hear. Like you know, you give reference to the Jewish people, and and but more a word that I was perhaps more shocked of is, is God has come up a lot in this conversation, and I wonder, uh, Doctor Eager, what is what is your relationship with God like? Is it different than what it was before the war? And what is what is God to you? You know, I I my mother took me to a ballet school. And I had this wonderful ballet master who picked me up and said that God made me in such a way that all my ecstasy has to come from inside out. But I had no idea what ecstasy meant, but in Auschwitz, I found that God who told me that I will look at life from inside out. So if you wait for someone to make you happy, you're never going to be happy. That you create the family in you to be a good mommy to you. Many women come to me, I won't be happy until I find a man. And I tell her, if I were a man, I would run from you. You know, because you don't look very desirable when you have all that anxiety and you feel less than. No, you're a whole person. 
in my generation, if I would have told you I want to be a doctor, chances are you would have said because she couldn't find a husband. Oh. Because when you grew up as a little boy, you were taught how to become as somebody, a doctor, a lawyer, or a CPA, right? But I was taught to find somebody because I'm nobody till somebody loves me. That's horse manure. It's nice to be loved, but I am born alone. And when I'm gonna be on my deathbed, I'm not gonna ask what the world has given me. I'm going to be grateful that I was able to give of myself. I was uh, able to speak to a rabbi um, and a little bit of a sermon to give. And she talked about how the American Jews brought the Russian Jews to America. You see, when I fled the communists and became overnight uh, very poor, I ended up in a hospital called the Rothschild Hospital in Vienna, where I was given clothing and food and uh, and so the Jewish, and it's supported by the American Jews. So when I was last time, I was in Miami, I talked to affluent people. I told them, your money maybe is now helping to a young mother like me. That we, we are taking care of our brothers and sisters. And the Russian Jews are here in America because love is not what you feel, is what you do. So I do everything in my power to see to it that your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will never experience what I did. Amen. Thank you. What, do you, what message do you have to um, the older generation who are... I haven't or tuning in or listening because what I've one thing I've I've come across from, from your way of being is that you know 20s 30s the 40s and the 50s and the 60s came for your life but yet you kept on going you kept committed to your own personal growth you never said okay I have arrived I'm stopping you're still working on yourself in your 90s how do you, what message do you have to people who perhaps are saying, you know I'm a grandmother now I'm a great grandmother now I've done my part this is who I am what can you share about to keep, to keep on growing and, change, and, and illuminating yourself? I kind of look at it uh, two ways. One is the metamorphosis that I go through, the metamorphosis, and I shed the chrysalis. Okay, and the butterfly doesn't fly right away, they rehearse. Richard Burton did not perform Hamlet overnight, you see. So I the second way I look at it, that I am climbing a mountain. And I'm climbing and I'm sleeping and I'm climbing and sleeping, but I never stop climbing. Mm. You know, as they say that the journey is the destination, I have yet to arrive. And once I arrive, I'll be dead. And that's so every moment is now precious. I don't take anything for granted. And, uh, I'm talking to you now, and you're wearing a yarmulke, right? I am. I am. So are you wearing masks? 
I when I'm outside of sure, yes. Good, good, good. That's, yes. That I think it's very important not to be a rebel and thinking that, oh, well, that's the macho thing. No, it's stupid. Wear the mask. Yes, no, yeah. I'm, I wear the mask outside, but I'm, but I'm in the process of removing the masks from the inside. Good. Yeah. Me too, me too, because it's very hard to speak when you have that mask on and we don't like it and it's temporary. Yes. You don't have to like it. So you can see, I, I don't like it, it's inconvenient and, uh, and it's temporary. Don't say yes, but. Say yes and. Yes and. It sounds like you've taken a, a, a class or two in improvisation. Improv is all about yes and to continue. You make it until you make it, yes. yes. <laughs> and act as if you were what you're capable of becoming, yes. I never treat a person as they are. I treat them as a mensch, and there are not too many mensch in the world. Men are different from being a male. And I think you're a good role model. You are interviewing me, uh, who's been there, done that, and doesn't have time to stop. There is just miles and miles to go. Yes. Miles and There's, miles. It's about is... curiosity. That helped me to survive in Auschwitz. I always wanted to know what's going to happen next. You, there is a bit that connected with me. I, I have come to realize more recently in my life that I'm a perfectionist. And now that's something that I'm letting go of. A perfectionist. I like things to be perfect. I actually believe to a certain point that in this world, there's something that exists perfection. But now I'm learning that doesn't exist. And in your book, you mentioned perfectionism means that something is broken. You try to dress it up. Could you elaborate more on that? You know, perfectionism leads to procrastination too because you want to do everything just right. Mm -hmm. My little granddaughter, Lindsay, was put in a class where the IQ started at 148. So you can see, it was a very special class. And I was invited and the teacher called my little girl, uh, my little red caboose, because she was a perfectionist. She would erase things a million times. And she thought, that she doesn't qualify to stay in that class. And she was ready to leave that class. And this is the first time I talked to Lindsay about Auschwitz. Wow. Not to allow a teacher to tell her and give her names. Anyway, she listened to me. And when she was ready, in high school to apply for colleges, you have to write your autobiography and guess what was the title? When the red caboose became an engine. Mm, very clever. She, she ended up at Princeton. She wrote her thesis on me. Um, she got a PhD at UCLA and she's professor now. Um, so she's Dr. Uh, Lindsay um, and- wow. uh, you must be proud. So it's very important to question authority and not to allow anybody to label you or define who you are. You're beautiful because God doesn't make junk. That's very, very true. You're beautiful. 
And anybody can do what you can do, but not the way you can do it. You're unique. You're one of a kind. Mm. There'll never be an other you. That that hit that hit me and landed in a very special way. Thank you for saying that. And and you're not just talking. I know to me, this is my narcissistic mind. But you're talking to everybody who's listening as well. That they are special. They are. They have their own unique ability and talents and gifts that God has given them. And I do love what you stress about in your book. You, you start off by saying, why me? Why me? Why did I survive? Why what the survivor's guilt? And then you end up by saying, you add a one simple word that changes the definition. Why not me? Why not me? That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think God has a plan for us, maybe even before we're born. Mm. So why question that? Just surrender. It's so hard to surrender. We hold on. We hold on for dear life, don't we? We hold on to the things that don't serve us anymore. We hold on to bad relationships or bad ideas or bad feelings about ourselves. Just to let it, to let go. Love is uh, about, uh, that's my definition of love, the ability to let go. (laughs) As she drops the pen from her hand. Let let go of the part in you that may be holding you hostage and prisoner of the past. Hmm. So what's, do you have one step? One, I would say simple step, but one step that someone could start letting go, starting that process. Get up in the morning, you look in the mirror and say, I love me. I honor my one-of-a-kind, precious, special me. Because that's the only one you're going to have for a lifetime. All other relationships will end. So I will be very grateful on my deathbed. Because I know I will die very happy. That I got up this morning and I took a shower and I took an eye makeup on. I don't know how to do it, but whatever I did, you know, getting ready to be interviewed and start the day with a lovely, lovely interviewer like you. Thank you. And and you you're you're radiating you're radiating sunshine. And uh, one thing is for sure, you, you're, you do have beautiful eyes that invite, invite the person into you. So thank you so much. I do have just a few more questions and, and I'll let you t- kick off the rest of your day today. Um, one of which is, how does one find joy in the mundane? How do you find joy? It's a discovery. Not recovery, but discovery. And there is a gift in everything. There is a light in that tunnel. Right now we're going through the, the, to this dark period right now. But just remember, don't get stuck in it. You're going through the shadow of the valley of death, but you don't get, don't, don't get stuck in that because that can be making you, I call it constipation. And when you're constipated, you concentrate on a movement. Where do I go from here? 
my daughter calls it edism and that's one of them are you de are you revolving or are you evolving mm. if you're re revolving you're going to do the same thing over and over again and that's what einstein said that's the definition of uh, uh of craziness i think um, yes yes to do the same thing over and over again and expecting and, different results expecting different results yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think i think einstein is i always want to talk to people who may talk about the white supremacy that without that little jew einstein we would have a very different history you know that's never that's forget that that this is a country of immigrants and I, I, I think we are all brothers and sisters. And I do have a dream that we're going to hold hand in hand and form a human family. We can empower each other with our differences rather yes. than picking people into submission. So question authority, never ever blindly adhere to authority. Uh, the book Capitalism and the Protestant Ethic Max Weber calls the Jews a pariah. <coughs> so you have to make someone subhuman and then you give them a name. You're not killing people, you're killing gooks and kikes and, and I was told I'm subhuman. I was told the only way I will get out of here is a corpse. And I'm here to tell you about it. Don't let anybody get to you and disturb your peace of mind. I'm very selective who's gonna get my anger. <laughs> because when I'm angry at you, you don't suffer, I do. Again, back to self-love, it's self-care, it's not narcissistic. And that's what's so amazing is that I, I, it boggles my mind that how is it that you were able to forgive? to forgive the Nazis, to forgive Hitler, to, to you let... Don't forgive. You don't give, you don't, I don't have that power. I don't have any godly power. People say you're such a good person. No, no, I'm not. I want to have a free life. I want to have passion. I want a joy. I don't want to carry the Nazi with me. Mm. So, Forgiveness is not about, I don't have godly power, but I hand it over to God to do the judgment. Hmm. That I do. I, I like to get rid of the us and them mentality. I'm not better than or less than anybody else. And you know what? It takes courage to be average. Sometimes you just don't get, you know, when I come to you and I tell you, I like you to get to know me, I want to get to know you, not Dr. Eager, you know, Edie, and you tell me that, that's very nice, but you know, I'm not interested in getting to know you. So look what happened. I asked what I wanted. I didn't get it. Okay. Yes. I didn't get what I wanted, but I was not rejected 
because rejection is an English word that people make up to express a feeling when you don't get what you want. So give up the drama. You have as much power over me as I allow you because I have this, this Jewish uh, protection that there is no way I will adhere uh, to anything. I remember I had a girl coming to me from the University of Texas and she was suicidal and I asked, what happened? And she said, I told John that I'm a virgin and he told me if nobody wanted you, I don't want you either. And I thought myself, oh my God, my mother told me I've got something. She didn't tell me what I got. I didn't even know my own anatomy. Oh my God, she was gonna die. I said, rejection? No one can reject you, but you. Thank God she came to me. And many young people, unfortunately, give up very, very unfortunately, very quickly. Mm. I ask parents not to spoil your children because then they will think it's coming to them. Learn to negotiate and compromise. If your child wants something from you, you say, what's in it for me? Learn to negotiate and compromise. That's so have a teamwork in a family. I one time had a wonderful Orthodox Jewish family Nine or ten children. The that sounds best. about right. It was amazing. Children didn't have to be told what to do at all. But they had no television. See, only books everywhere. The father was kind, loving, never raised his voice. That's why I'm telling you, it is really wonderful to watch Fiddler on the Roof because that woman knows that the man needs to feel that he makes all the decisions in the world and guess who makes the decision? Hmm. See, that's, that's a woman of strength and knows how to keep that family in a way that she doesn't compete with her <laughs> husband but she makes him feel that he is the hero of the family and he doesn't take advantage either. So I hope that you are the good role mother to your children, how you treat their beautiful mother that you met maybe under the chuppah. Amen, amen. God willing, the time will come and you'll look out for that invitation. Dr. Eager, because I would love for you to be there and we'll dance together in that celebration. Um, I want to end off this podcast by um, asking you, um, what are you excited about in your life today? What are you looking forward to? And perhaps are we going to be gifted with another book, perhaps uh, the Dr. Eager cookbook? I know how much you love food and Hungarian food. Perhaps we'll have a, a book like that coming out soon. That hopefully will come, yes. My daughter and I are... Um, are um, getting together 
I am a good cook, but she's a gourmet. You know, she's, she's very fancy. She can make you a cream cheese omelette with caviar for mm. breakfast, things like that. You know, I don't do that. I'm going to give you lax and bagels, and I can <laughs> give you potato latkes, and uh, give you chicken paprikash. And uh, I have a wonderful woman that I live with, and she's kosher. Leonor, would you please come here? She's from South Africa, yes. and she is, she is the most kind, wonderful caregiver who takes care of my great-grandsons, and I like you to meet her. And she is Leonor, and my kosher, beautiful. Hello. Uh, <laughs> So, and I take care of hopefully uh, providing a beautiful home that we share. So uh, uh, it's again cooperation, not competition or domination. Mm, thank you, Dr. Eager. Thank you so much for taking the time and for your your just amount of wisdom and your kind heart and your message. I think if one person could take away from listening to this, there's so many lessons, but one of which is to really love yourself, give yourself that space, wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and say, why not me? Why okay. Not? I, I, I'll give you two more things. I'll take when it. Did, when did your childhood end? Mm. Because many children have to take care of parents who are not well. Um, and the second question is, would you like to be married to you? These are great meditative questions to ask yourself. We invite our listeners to do that, just that. And in the interim, please do yourself a favor, get the choice, get the gift, the 12 lessons to save, to, to save your life. Two fantastic books written by Dr. Edith Eager, Dr. Edith Eager, thank you, bless you. Hashem should continue to bless you with health, nachas, and great reasons to say mazel tov and happiness. Shalom. Shalom, shalom. Thank you so much for tuning in to this Great Day Podcast episode. And thank you, Dr. Eager, for making the time, sharing your story and your wisdom with us today. And if you haven't yet, please order for yourself The Choice, The Gift, the two books from Dr. Eager. They are incredible filled with value and inspiration. Do yourself this favor and order those books. They can be found wherever books are sold. And if this podcast episode or any of my other podcast episodes has brought any value to you and you've enjoyed them, please share them with your friends and family. Your support to this podcast goes a long, long way. And like I always say, stay positive, be happy. I'm Mayor Kay and have a great day.